You're listening to The Devoted Podcast, where our desire is to be women devoted to the Word of God. We're so glad you're here, and we pray you'll be challenged and encouraged as we look to God's Word together. Welcome back to The Devoted Podcast. So a couple weeks ago, we started a little bit of a series on studying Scripture, and we first kind of walked through just a general outline of how to look at Scripture and how you can study Scripture. And so then I decided to kind of break that down and help us to just rightly divide Scripture as as best as we can. So um, a couple weeks ago, we did observation with Scripture, and that was just the—that one's really the easy one, right? It's the looking at the text for the setting the time, you know, really just what's there, just observing, but slowing up and not allowing yourself really to go yet into interpretation or eventually where we'll get to is application and actualization. So, but today we're going to do interpreting scripture. And I've asked Pastor Gabe Carter from our church at Athey Creek to come and help us dive into interpreting scripture. So Gabe came on here with me once before and did an awesome job. So I'm really excited that you came on to do this one more time. This won't be the last time. Let's be real. So, so thanks, Gabe. Yeah, thanks, Amy. Thanks for having me. So let's just first start with what is interpretation and why is that important as we're looking at scripture? Well, you know, as you were even in your open kind of talking about, you know, the differences of interpretation, of observation, you know, observation, as you said, was the easy part. Interpretation is the laborious part. And if you're kind of a nerd, like probably you and I are, and we maybe some of, of the people dig listening. This. Yeah, totally. <laughs> this is, we love this stuff, digging in and interpreting scripture. In fact, you're like, well, is interpretation in the Bible? That's a great question. Well, you know, there actually are several scriptures, but Luke chapter 24, where Jesus, after he's, he died, after he rose from the dead, there's these two guys walking on the road, and here Jesus appears to them, and he's in a shrouded form. They don't know who he is. He hides himself from them, and, you know, these guys are, you know, wondering who this guy is, and, and really they're, they're more interested in, you know, that he doesn't understand this is Jesus, what just happened and what just took place. And so he, he, uh, Jesus is approaching them, basically trying to figure out, you know, to reveal to them, these guys themselves, you know, who and what they really understand. So in Luke chapter 24, here are the, the two guys on the road to Emmaus. Jesus appears to them and they're having a conversation. He says in verse 17, this is what Jesus said. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other, you know, as you walk? And they stood still looking sad. Then one said to them, Cleopas answered, are you the only visitor of Jerusalem who does not know these things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, what things? And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be uh, condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. And then it continues on. In verse 25, Jesus finally answers, says, O foolish ones, and slow to heart to believe all the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And then it says in verse 27, And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted, this is what ESV says, to them in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. So there it is, interpretation, there it is, interpretation. right <laughs> in scripture. And how I love that it's showing what would the people would be going, haven't you heard, as if he wouldn't know. 
But see, everybody could be like, what is interpretation? Like, why we can look to God and go, why wouldn't you know this? And when you think of that story, it's kind of funny. You would not uh, probably say that to God. No. (laughs) Well, in fact, if you've ever heard the word hermeneutics, or if you know anyone who's been in seminary or or cemetery, as we like to joke, you know, the study of hermeneutics actually comes from that word, the interpretation. The Greek word there is where they get the word hermeneutic. It comes from right there, Luke chapter 24, where Jesus there is expounding, going through the scriptures, showing all the things that point to him. And so ultimately, you know, interpretation starts off with sort of before you interpret, I guess a pretext would be, what is the Bible? Before you enter into interpreting the Bible, you have to know what the Bible is. And the Bible says of itself in, in 2 Timothy verse chapter 3, verse 16, it says, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Um, the first thing to note is that the source is supernatural. It's God that the Bible itself is not like any other book of literature. It is unique in that sense. Yes, God used human authors to bring about Scripture, but it is breathed out as if when we speak, you know, it's, it's hard to inhale and talk at the same time. It doesn't sound really well. <laughs> it's really hard, unintelligible. Breathing out. He spoke it out. This was said. This is God's living and breathing word that we have. If we disagree on that fundamental thing, that the Bible is not God's word, or as some would say, maybe the Bible just contains the word of God, as if you have to mine the Bible to find find the word of God, as some might postulate and put out there. And there are some you know, teachers out there that do state, hey, the Bible is great and it contains the word of God. No, no, no. The Bible in its entirety is the word of God. And this is a really important, I'm glad you bring this up, that important to lay that foundation because we do have so much out there as far as what interpretation is. I think it's it's bringing up the game of why interpretation matters. I like that you started with Luke because Jesus said interpretation matters, but then knowing what the Bible is, that sets the whole foundation. It has to all be true. We have to all, we have to take all of it as for what it is. Every word no jot or tittle, right, is mm-hmm. going to pass away. Right. And not to use big words, but if you do find yourself looking into interpretation or studying it or Googling it, you might come across, you know, the phrase verbal plenary inspiration. Verbal means every word. Plenary just means all parts, everything, all parts, and then inspiration given by God. So both Amy and I come from this perspective because the Bible itself says this of itself, that every word without all of it in all of its parts is inspired by God. And so that is extremely important because it's just like Satan to come in and say, right there in the Gen- in book of Genesis, you know, chapter three, did God really say to bring about just a little bit of doubt? And it's a little twinge of sowing bad seeds, so to speak, that'll come alongside and, and bring, no, nah, that's not really what that means. And it happens often in this interpretation stage where a lot of us can go awry. So the biggest thing, I think the biggest takeaway when it comes to interpretation is this right here, that you are, that this is the word of God. Every piece of it is the word of God. And uh, Amy and I were talking a little bit beforehand, even I was reading through Isaiah chapter 55, and we can talk a little bit more, you know, as the show goes on, but I was thinking of it mainly from the perspective of when we approach the word of God, how we approach the word of God, that it is the word of God, and that it's not us that's looking to interpret for our sake that we may understand so that the Bible's shaped into our image. In Isaiah chapter 55, God reminds us, he says, my ways are not your ways. 
nor are my thoughts your thoughts. God, his ways are not our ways, and his thoughts are not our thoughts. They're totally different. So just like when we pray, oftentimes it's the Lord molding us and forming us more in his image. God's will for our life, his first Thessalonians chapter four reminds us, is our sanctification to be changed more into him. As we spend time in the word, that's part of, part of God's purpose, is to shape us and to change us more into his image, not that we read scripture and we can mold it into our image and we can use it for our gain. We have to approach the Bible and say, God, your ways are not my ways. The things that I read in scripture, I'm like, I would not do that. That's because that's the Lord. He does that. I, you know, in sinful man, I would not do that, nor are my ways his ways. And that's another important, you know, reminder as we approach scripture, because God is totally other. He's unique. He is holy. The number one description of God is holiness. He is holy. This is why the gospel is so good in that Jesus bridges that gap, that he is other, he is holy, he is separate, yet Christ died for us, and he, he has brought us in through a new and living way that we have access to the Father, uh, that we cannot have it on our own. So interpretation is extremely important, really, really, really important, and it can get laborious, as I said, it can get dry and dull. It might not have as the zeal that the application has, and you can jump to the application. It's an important step, because if you skip over the interpretation and jump right to the application stage, you end up off in an error. You're going to be off. And we're going to jump into it later so we can kind of pull you into just some tools that you can use for good interpretation and what that can look like. But this first piece is so important to lay this groundwork, because I know when we approach scripture, we are often looking for an answer to what our problem is. You know, that's that a jumping to application piece. But if you're not coming from it from the place that God is completely other, it's almost foolish, right, to try to put it within the confines and in the context of our own mind and understanding. And so you have to begin, you have to have that posture of submitting yourselves to what the Lord would have here and kind of be prepared that it probably is not what you signed up for. Don't let that shock you. And so that's why it's funny when we see things in, that happens in churches or culturally that seem so not right. Like, well, the Bible can't be saying that. That doesn't seem very culturally relevant. We shouldn't expect it to be. If you're coming from that posture of this is what God's Word is, it is divine, it is perfect, and we have to measure against it and not be real surprised that it's not jamming with what we want, you know? Right. Yeah. So we're going to keep repeating that because it's why I think it is so important that we do talk about interpretation because like Gabe said, it's just something that that's usually where this thing gets off the rails. And it usually starts because we're trying to filter it within our cultural context and not necessarily with what scripture's context is. And that's why I asked you guys to start first with observation because sometimes you can approach scripture and you're not even paying attention to the fact that you're not even the audience, you know? But it also goes to this first example of Jesus telling us about interpretation because the book is about him. It is about revealing who God is. That's why we study scripture. We study scripture to know who God is, not to know who we are. We know who we are through the lens of being image bearers, but the aim is to know who God is. Would you, did that aptly put that? Yeah. You know, and, and I was even telling you before, I thought of, I was thinking of an analogy in regards to scripture as scripture says of itself in, in James chapter one, it likens itself 
to a mirror. Now it likens itself, you know, to, to many things. The Lord uses it as, you know, as, talks about it as fire, as as uh, water, like many things. It's the bread, but one is the mirror. There in James chapter one, it's in regards to. You know, I don't want to jump ahead because it's talking about application. Uh, but it says the one we don't want to be like the ones who look in the mirror and walk away and forget about what kind of man or woman that we are. That's the one who does not do the word. And so when I was thinking of a mirror, you know, we often think mirrors are reflecting our image back to us as if it's, that's me. Now there's a truth to that. It is in a sense, but actually what's happening, you know, I don't want to take the analogy. We can take analogies way too far. I get it. But I think this does apply is actually what's going on is when we're looking at a a mere reflection of ourselves, it's the photons, the light particles that are bouncing off of our face. If we're looking, you know, at our face in the mirror and then you know, launching off our face, hitting the mirror, the reflective smooth surface, and then bouncing back and our eyes are interpreting it as that is the image. So what we're seeing is a reflection of the light bouncing off of us. Um, And isn't that just how scripture is? We shouldn't be reading the Bible just to find out who we are. Now, the reality is, is the Bible does reveal that to us because what happens is, is it, you know, we are made new in Christ. And just as Moses, who, you know, who spent time with the Lord and his face would glow there in, the, in Exodus, uh, you know, we later, later, you know, read about this in Acts where he actually put a bag over his head because he was more ashamed of the fact that he was, <laughs> glow that he is was diminishing. glowing, was d- diminishing. But what's happening is, is that the reflection of that, we just, as Jesus said, he said, I am the light of the world. And then he sends his disciples out and says, you are the lights of the world because they're reflecting Christ out to this world. As we spend time in the word, what's happening is, is the, the Lord is being reflected. He's reflecting back at us. The light is coming back at us and revealing to us who we are. So it's not us looking into the Bible to find ourselves. It's us looking to the Bible, which reveals God to us. And in light of that, now we know who we are. And that's an important step because I think we can, we can open scripture going, okay, what is my path? What should I do? Who am I? And those aren't necessarily bad questions, but the better question is who is God? And if you know who, who God is, out of all of that, you will know where to go. You will know who you are. You'll know what to do. And that is why we spend time in scripture, not just so that we can get a better grasp and be bolder, stronger, more powerful, more zeal. No, (laughs) we want the Lord to shine brighter in our lives. And as we do that, and yes, we might diminish, just as John the Baptist said, which is a good thing, um, because he who wants to gain his life must lose his life, uh, as Jesus said. In that diminishing, what actually happens is a revealing of who we are in light of Christ. Now, it was a little off subject. It was more preachy, I think, than (laughs) No, no, I think it's it's good. I love, too, that just the simplicity that brings when, because if you approach Scripture and you're getting stressed out looking at, well, I need to have this guide me. I need to, you know, you're again looking through that lens through what it can do for me as opposed to what we're studying. We're really studying about who God is. But think about how simplistic that makes it and how, and freeing. We know it's the right thing. We know this this is a book about the Lord. We know this is teaching us about God's character. So, if that's how we shift our focus onto God and away from ourselves, yeah, I'm getting off the interpretation scale as well. However, it's one of the things that I love about good interpretation, though, because as you talk about this stuff, it reveals what its true purpose is and what you can be doing when you're studying Scripture, and and not just be aimless through it, not just be going through a reading plan and checking it off, but really engaging with Scripture with the purpose of knowing who God is. So, Gabe, give us an example 
popular or not, but give us an example of a passage maybe that people look at and because they don't do good interpretation, that we go off the rails in what that text is actually telling us. Yeah, the the reality is I could use you could probably use any text <laughs> at any point. You know, as Peter said that Paul's writings, which are hard to understand, and the weak minded or the feeble mind used to distort, you know, for their own gain. There are many examples. You know, one I could think of is uh, in First Corinthians. And it's actually a really difficult text. I probably should have picked an easier text. <laughs> nah, we like a challenge. To, to go with. But one of the interpretive, and you've probably talked a little about this when it comes to observation, is context, is you got to have, have the proper context of a verse in its entirety. Otherwise, you know, we can misuse things. And one I can think of is, you know, where two or more are gathered, the Lord says, so I'll be there. That's in the context of church discipline. And is the truth that God is there when we gather? Absolutely. But is he also there when we're by ourselves? Absolutely. And so we can misuse things and, and, and pound things, pound the pulpit a little bit on, on some of that, when reality the context is a little bit different. But 1 Corinthians, here, the baptizing the dead verse, which is one of those really obscure texts that has been difficult for many to really understand or get the idea of what the Lord is trying to get or, you know, through the Apostle Paul. But in verse 29, so I'll just read it to you totally out of context of 1 Corinthians 15. He says, Otherwise, what do people mean by being baptized on behalf of the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, why are people baptized on their behalf? And you're like, wait, if you, so if I use that one verse, we should baptize the dead. Right, exactly. <laughs> Which, and again, highlights the fact on why the interpretation and first building upon observation is so important. Because if you do, do, now he's picking this with something probably not many of us are out there wanting to baptize the dead. But this happens all the time yeah. with Scripture. Well, and if you have Mormon friends, they do this. And those of the Mormon faith, the LDS they, in my mind, are in total error. Now, they're in error in a lot of things. Scripture, in their interpretation of Scripture, is way off because here, you know, when it comes to context, it's not just the context of the verse in its where it's at on the page. We can go, okay, hey, just you don't want to just take one verse out of context. That's true. You don't want to take one paragraph out of context. You don't want to take one chapter out of context. You don't want to forget that the Bible is actually contained and placed in such a way that all of it's meant to be understood, and they should not contradict each other. So if we know that we're saved you know, by grace through faith, like if that's how we're saved, we know that we, we, that's how we are saved. It's nothing our own doing. Can we be baptized for the sake of the dead? I mean, if you know that principle, which is spoken of many times throughout Scripture, it's an overarching theme in Scripture. And we could talk about some of the archetypes and themes in Scripture. Um, if you know that, you would go, okay, this does not mean that they're, being, they're baptizing people on behalf of the dead for their salvation. Exactly. So, and that's where most of us think, well, why would they baptize for the dead? Well, to, to save them? No, there's not a chance in the afterlife, which the Mormons do teach. There's nowhere in scripture. It's, you are to die once, Hebrews tells us, and then comes the judgment. When we die, we go and stand before the Lord. So take away the suspense for us and tell us like the good interpretation of that scripture within its context. Yeah. So the funny thing is this one has something in the vicinity of 29 different interpretations. <laughs> You're like, something in that. I think I was reading one commentary that said that. But I can tell you it does not mean, so sometimes it helps when you're reading really difficult texts such as this to go, okay, it can't mean that because this is what Scripture is saying. 
But if you read it in the full context of this chapter, he's speaking of Jesus. He's speaking of the resurrection of the dead. He's speaking that he, 1 Corinthians 15 is a beautiful passage of the gospel message because some of those people in the church at Corinth didn't believe in the resurrection. And so he's, he's making evidence. He's giving you evidences for the resurrection. And what's interesting is he, in verse 29, he actually changes. And you have to be a little bit of a sleuth as you read scripture and look at language. And, you know, I'm, I'm by no means a Greek scholar. You might hear me when I teach at times and think like bring out Greek words. It's because I lean heavily or I stand upon the shoulders of mental giants that I can't even come close to. And we have some tools that help with that. But I got to tell you, when it comes to, if you're, if you're like interested in, Hey, I really want to study Greek or Hebrew, study the English language first. No, I'm not kidding. <laughs> Good tip, like yeah. when I started to look into Greek and Hebrew, I realized I don't know what the English language is, like the structure and the orderliness of words. And so here, when you see it, he changes he changes his perspective in verse 29. He says, otherwise, what do people mean? Before he was talking to the church. And so now he says, what do people? Some translations say others. So he's talking outside of the church at Corinth. He's saying, so his evidence, he's using basically an argument from without. He's basically saying, hey, even these pagans are baptizing for the dead. Even they believe in the resurrection. So why don't you, is kind of the idea. Right. Um, he's okay. using this argument that's sort of, you know, really obscure. And so that's the perspective there that I would take. And I think it's right, <laughs> to be honest with you. This is, and I, I probably should have chosen an easier text. This one's a little more difficult. Because I do believe, honestly, that interpretation is not personal. Some might say, well, that's just how you interpret it. I do think there's a right and a wrong interpretation. Jesus said, I mean, the reason I just read from Luke chapter 24, where he is describing to them all the things he's interpreting to them, all the things speaking of himself. They had all those things wrong. Mm -hmm. They didn't see Jesus. They didn't understand he had to rise from the dead. They had it wrong. Jesus over and over again said he's going to die. He's going to rise from the grave and his disciples didn't understand. Now, you know, they didn't get it. Now we have this perspective like, well, yeah, of course he'd rise from the dead. Well, we've read it. We've seen it. I've never seen anyone come rise from the dead. Right. So, <laughs> yeah. so, I mean, that's pretty amazing. So I do think that there's a right and a wrong interpretation. And it's okay to be, oh, man, I was wrong and change. Right. That's an okay thing to be. Like, you're not going to, again, we go back to the very beginning of the conversation. If you believe it is the full counsel, it is the word of God, you know, that verbal plenary inspiration. Every word in all of its parts is inspired by God. If you start there... Um, and even you end end up a little bit in error, it's okay. The Lord's going to come along and correct. You know, I, I think of, you know, you're a mom, I'm a dad, we have kids. It's not like every time that they mess up and do something wrong, we're like, I can't believe you, you dummy. Like, no, yeah. they're gaining understanding and knowledge and we're training. And as we spend time in the word and spend more time in the word, and as we walk with the Lord and live our lives out in such a way that we're lights for him, he's going to correct and change because his will for our lives is our sanctification. And it's so important, like we said, to come from that, where that onset of knowing that where we maybe are headed and the idea that we have for something in scripture, being prepared that that's going to be different based on what we're learning through interpretation. But I really love what you were mentioning and, and highlighting about there is 
a right interpretation because everything today says, well, you know, that's what it means to you. Now, I know that's getting to application a little bit too, but people take that with with interpretation. Honestly, yep. we see that with people defining different things, defining sin in the New Testament and, and what is sin and what isn't sin. And, oh, that isn't, that was for that day. And right and wrong interpretation. There is a right and a wrong. And that's why you can see why this is so important to interpret scripture in the right way, because you can really get off and you'll be off a mile on your theology if you continue down that road. But I think that segues us well when you're talking about the interpretation part as far as not just plucking a verse out and saying, let's just apply this, going into some ways in which you can set yourself up for success in interpretation. I mean, one that I tell my kids all the time, ignore chapter breaks. You know, looking at stuff where you're reading ch- verses and verses before then and verses and verses after to really see the full picture. You can talk about that one or talk about other things that set you up well for good interpretation. No, and that's and there's a great even Bibles now are being produced that don't have the chapter breaks or don't have the verses in there. And I think those are so handy. They really are really helpful when it just comes to just reading just reading through the scripture and trying to get an idea of what is going on. Most of the scripture is narrative. You know, we can talk about in some, if you do, if you're again, if you're looking into, hey, how do I interpret the Bible? You might come across a lot of different people talking about, hey, what are the types of literature in the Bible, the types of writing in scripture? I would put that at the bottom of the list. And that's just me because you can end up in error <laughs> in all these things. Some people make a bigger deal about it than I think it is because they'll say, well, that's poetic. So everything that they say in that is poetic. Therefore, it's all poetry. And now that, you know, and they just like for it. instance, you know, um, we can look at the book of Revelation and there's a broad swath of understanding in the book of Revelation. You know, some people say, you know, it's its own apocalyptic literature. Therefore, you interpret here the principles. The problem is there's not a lot of apocalyptic literature and the principles that they get come from extra biblical understanding of how to interpret apocalyptic literature. I don't want to chase you guys down this rabbit trail. There's a lot of nuance and all of these things. But I would say when it comes to reading scripture, context really is important. You know, making sure you understand where the verse is at, making sure you understand the context around the verse, the chapter it's in, all the things you took from observation are important to bring alongside of you in the interpretation stage. You don't just take, oh, hey, I observed, you know, this is Paul, he's speaking at the church of Ephesus, you know, here's where Ephesus is at, here are the people, here are the players. You don't want to just leave that in a category and then move on. Okay, now how do how does this, you know, because that's where what happens is oftentimes when we do that, we jump to application. Right. <laughs> you need to right. bring all that along with you. And then even in all that, the as I referenced before, you want the full context of the word of the Bible and the message in scripture cannot be devoid from the gospel. It cannot be devoid from our sin nature. There's main themes all throughout scripture. We cannot pull those things out. One of the applications, or I guess one of the principles, I guess you would say, when it comes to an interpretation is looking at difficult texts or things that are hard to understand. And you always interpret those in light of the things that you can understand. And we do this naturally as we live our life. You know, this is something that we do, the things that we, because we, we don't, it's like, that doesn't, I don't know what that is. Um, during our staff meeting, Pastor Brett was talking about, you know, just a news article about the guy who was in a jetpack flying, you know, at 3,000 feet, and they, this uh, airliner up there, the pilot saw this, and he doesn't know how to interpret this. 
<laughs> like, how do you interpret this guy flying? Well, he's basing it on what he already knows. And so what we can air with Google and everything, we can just search for it. That's what it means. But we need to go, what, is the, what are the overarching, what are the main things that are spoken in the Bible that are easy and plain to understand? And then when I read a harder thing, if, any, if my interpretation contradicts that, you can go, clearly, that's not what it means. So this is where it's helpful to understand sin and depravity, to understand salvation, to understand grace, understand faith, these main themes in scripture, and then go, okay, what is being said here? So uh, interpreting the more difficult with that which is already easy and plain is a main principle of interpretation as well. And the other thing I would say too, if you're coming across something that is difficult to interpret or you know, maybe it's not even something that people say is a controversial passage or whatever, but for you personally, you are just like, I do not get this. Leave it. Let it be there. I think it's such a mistake that we, as our culture, we are just, we are instant gratification folks. We want to know exactly what it means. I want to know the right way. Like you said, even Googling it and figuring out, well, that is probably not your most awesome guide right there. But we want that fast answer. And I have challenged myself on this in the last year of sometimes I think the Lord just wants us to sit and ask him about that. Look in other, it's amazing how you'll be, as you're studying scripture, you'll probably find something down the road, but it could be a year, you know, maybe it is next week, but it could be a year. It could be 10 years where you go, oh, that makes that passage make sense. And that's why that first pretext of understanding what Scripture is and your correct posture to it is so important, because then that is not going to freak you out when you get to that passage that you cannot interpret right now, because you're going to be able to rest in the fact that you know who God is, you know you're studying His character, you understand salvation, you understand your own sin, and it's not going to alarm you that you don't understand and can't interpret that passage right now. Yeah, no, and that's, it is, it is really important. I keep saying that, but the interpretation part of this is, and you're probably hearing Amy and I talk about categories and like, hey, this is interpretation, this is observation. We're talking about these, not as if it's always a formal process we go through when you read the Bible. <laughs> so I, I don't know about you, Amy, but not every time do I go, here's my observation phase, here's my interpretation phase, here's my no. application. So don't get us wrong, we're not creating categories. Oh, that could be, if that's, if you're, you know, if you, if that's the way you're wired and that works for you, man, praise the Lord. But we're speaking of this and in, in the process, as you read scripture, things to be reminded of because we want to know the Lord. We want to get a right perspective of who God is. You know, there's, you know, revelation, not the book of revelation, but revelation, God revealing himself to us. You know, as you were talking about, Amy, the Bible is primarily a book about God. It's not about us. And that hurts us because we live in a culture where everything is fed to us in a way that it, it, it accommodates us. How does this work for me? Man, my phone doesn't work. I'm going to take it back. And I love that. Like, I love the fact that I could take my product doesn't work. I can take it back. A lot of other countries at times kind of laugh at that because it's like, they did what? You bought a product and it broke and they six months later, you know, they Costco is a novel idea. Um, right, I love right. Costco um, for that. But we need to recognize that the Bible is not just about us. It is primarily a book about God. 
and who he is. So revelation, God reveals himself to us in two ways that scripture describes. One, general revelation. That is, you can go outside and you can see the sunrise in the morning. You can see it set in the evening. You can see that there's an order of things in creation. Seasons come, you know, or it's beautiful here in Oregon right now. The, the sun is bright and this is the best part seasonally, you know, for Oregonians. And, you know, soon, you know, the apple trees will be blossoming and, you know, apples will be on the tree and then it'll be moving into pumpkin season with a pumpkin patch. You know, you have this, okay, I see there's an order. And, you know, Romans chapter one talks about this, how God has revealed himself in creation. A part of that general revelation is even the conscious with conscience within us, Romans two gets at, where we know right from wrong. Intuitively, it's on us. Now we can have it, that conscience can be seared, but it's there. I love how Pastor Brett, our pastor, talks about it as the knower. You know, we have this knower that knows whether to do right or wrong. That is God's image impressed, imprinted on us. Although it's marred, it can be seared. It is, God, it is a way that God reveals himself to us and shows that who he is. But apart from that, we would not necessarily know God. And this is where specific or special revelation, that is, the word of God is given to us. How do we know who Jesus is? It's not just because I went to the mountaintop and I spent time there by myself and all of a sudden the Lord revealed to me how big of a sinner I was. Now he can do these things. I'm not placing, you know, the Lord can do these things, but his primary mode that he's given to us is his word. This is how he reveals himself to us. So again, we're, it's funny, we're talking about interpretation, but I keep coming back to <laughs> the basis of this is that the Bible is not just about us. It is primarily about God and who he is, what he's done for us. And in light of that, how we respond. So if you have someone that is trying to do a better job of interpreting scripture, we've talked about like reading things within context and reading 20 verses before, 20 verses after, whatever it looks like. What are some other practical tools that you would tell people in who want to just interpret scripture well? I mean, practically prayer yeah, <laughs> is one. Yeah, huge. Um, we need the spirit, you know, the things of the spirit make no sense to the things of the flesh. That does not mean, as you know, as Scripture talks about that, it doesn't mean that the person who's not saved cannot understand the words being said or the sentence structure or even the message that's being said. It's saying that they don't believe it. They don't grapple it. That's why the message of salvation is foolishness to those that are perishing, that our God, our Savior, died a criminal's death on our, in our place. And so you see arguments and things come and go from generation to generation. If you look down church history's past, people throwing accusations at, you know, now it's, it's Jesus was just cosmic child abuse and all these things, you know, and it's because it's foolishness to them. It's foolishness. So we need God, this Holy Spirit active in the interpretation process. So one aspect is to be praying that the Lord would reveal to you the truth that's in the word, that is the word actually, that you would understand. Now, is that a, a magical thing that happens? No. Honestly, it's an aligning of our heart saying, Lord, I submit to you, your will be done, and that he would reveal to us his will. I find too that I think it is probably the thing we talked about this before, too, that we forget to do. It's just the easiest out of our minds. We don't approach Scripture. We may not approach our quiet time that morning first in prayer. You know, we might just jump right into the Scripture, and it's just such an error. I think from what we were talking about at the beginning, how our brains are just not even going to be able to grasp all of this. So why would we even try to do it on our own? But we do. 
I do, you know, and you don't approach that from that place. So much of good interpretation of Scripture, I think, is what we were laying that foundation for. It's that submission to who God is, being ready to be corrected. I mean, I think that's the other thing, too, is we just don't want to feel that rub a little bit. And so we want to seek interpretation and then thereby application that feels good. And the feelings piece, I've gotten where if I read something that feels good to me, my radar starts going up because what have I not understood correctly? Because it's not our feelings that should be our guiding principle as we interpret Scripture. And that's why some of this may sound kind of methodical, but sometimes I need that in order to keep the confines of where I would like to take my Bible study and bring it back over into what, give me some good boundaries here. Let's put some fencing around this so that I'm looking at this in the way that the Lord has for me, not what I have for the Lord in this. Yeah. And you'll probably notice that, you know, we were talking about some practical things and I, I'm a Bible, I love the Bible. And so a lot of the principles and things I try to take from, come from scripture. And you even see when it comes to the description, you know, of, of leadership in the church and things like it's, it's all, all around character. It's not competency or understanding. And that's why a lot of this the conversation has to do around the character of how we approach scripture and not necessarily always just here are 20 tips because there are helpful tips that you can take in regards to doing this. But I want to stress, and I'm going to keep coming back to this, how we approach the character we have is probably more important than the tips, the things that we take away because I could approach scripture and I could, and you know, and I've done this, been guilty of this. I have a teaching of a Bible study. I have thing. I just need to get this. I need to read this really quickly just because I'm, I'm, I got to tell some, tell the guys what to, I got to, I can't look like a fool. Bible says that, right? Study to show yourselves approved. A workman that need not be ashamed. Like there's an aspect of that. But really when I approach scripture, when I read scripture, I want to know the Lord. I want to know him. I want to understand him. And then, and then I would, from that, I know what to do as we go back to that. That's important. That's what shapes us and molds us. It's not just information for the sake of information because yeah. knowledge puffeth, puffeth us up, right? Makes our heads big. Um, we have a lot of knowledge and there's a lot of people and scholars that I've read that have a lot of knowledge about scripture, but they are far from the Lord. You know, we even even as a church, you're going through Isaiah and Pastor Brett last night going through Isaiah chapter 48, talking about that, how Israel there was giving lip service to God, but their hearts were far from them. And we see that often because that's our natural mode. Our natural mode at times is to drift back into going, okay, what are the right things I know what to do? And I'm just going to do those things. But at the time, there's really no connection to it. And that's not just the emotional side of things. I'm not just talking about yeah. okay, the emotional yeah. side of, of knowing God, but to know God as Jesus in Je Luke chapter 24, he there unfolded the scriptures. He, you know, the hermeneutic he used, he um, interpreted to them all the things pertaining to him. And so when we read scripture, we should be looking for Christ. We should be looking to understand the Lord and who he is. And that way, as you were saying, Amy, when it comes to the aspect of reading something that doesn't, it's like, man, that's hard for me. That's difficult for me. What I do is I go, I understand the character of my God. 
I know who he is. And I know why he's giving me a hard word right now. Because he loves me. He cares for me. He doesn't want me to stay the way that I once was. He wants to make me more in his image. He wants to shape me, even if that means pruning me and plucking, you know, dead branches off of me. So that's why I'm, it sounds like I'm just circling, but I'm going to keep circling back on that because it's the most important thing in my mind when it comes to interpretation. Yes, context is important. Yes, having an understanding and a grasp of the English language is good and beneficial and helpful. But more than that, knowing that you're in, you're reading the word to know God, because guess what? He knows you. He wants us to know him more. And that to me is amazing that the Lord God of all the universe, the savior who, who came and died on the cross for my sin, wants me to understand and to know him and get to know him more and more. So that principle alone, when it comes to scripture, approaching it as God's word, I can't emphasize enough. Otherwise, I mean, I have a hard time seeing someone who approaches the word that way and really end up in in error. Right, right. I actually, I mean, like you said, it may seem like we're repeating ourselves a little bit on that, but I'm really glad because of two things. First of all, I think what it does is it hopefully makes folks that have perhaps gone, I don't really know if I've ever looked at interpreting scripture very seriously. This isn't a stressor. We did say that this is the piece, I suppose, of studying studying scripture that is a more work, there is more involved in there. But that work could almost be seen as not necessarily going and finding your great Greek dictionary. The work could be in the waiting. It could just be in, in praying through that scripture. How does this passage show me who God is more? So that should be, in some ways, don't be stressed if you don't feel like you're not smart enough for this. Well, join the club. Neither am I. We There's none of us that is ever <laughs> going to be able to delve into scripture in all of the depths that it is and feel like, oh yeah, I totally got that. If that's your goal when you approach your study of scripture every time, you're going to be really disappointed. So hopefully it's freeing as we looked at this one piece of, of the interpretation side is, guys, so much of this, the attitude and the heart and the aligning that you're doing with the intention. What, what are you wanting to get out of this? Are you wanting to get out of your study of Scripture into knowing who you are more, or are you wanting to know who God is more? And the great thing, the gracious thing about the Lord is that in knowing who He is more, He reveals how we should be and how we should live. So I love that. So I think that that is a freeing thing, and it kind of takes the pressure off. So hopefully it allows you to see that the the interpretation side, it might take you a little bit more time. But if you haven't noticed, Gabe and I could talk about this for literally hours <laughs> because it's also to me what makes this just the scriptures come alive. And I think it's because it's so not us. It's so not what we would have interjected into it. That's just what the Lord does. And it just, it brings me to a greater awe and appreciation of how amazing the Lord is to want that level of relationship with us. I That just blows my mind. Yeah. I would even, not to rephrase it, but I would rephrase it. I'd say that we, the Bible is already alive. What happens is it brings us dead it parts takes, of us. Yes. Yes. Alive. That's a good way it quickens, of it quickens us. And so, you know, if you do want, you know, some feel that I probably should give some helpful tips as to practical aspects. There are some good resources out there when it comes to interpretation. And I'd say even, you know, the back of your Bible, like if you just own the part nobody Bible, reads, no one ever reads totally, it. Totally. But there's to. some good stuff there, there. There used to be a day, you know, where you'd 
you'd be trained to go back and look up a word and look back and go, okay, hey, what is wind? Okay, where else does it say? You know, does it talk about prophecy and names? I'd say start there, looking at the back of your Bible. If you read a verse and you're like, well, what is that? And then look back at the concordance. The concordance is actually fairly helpful in not giving you the exact answer. What happens is, is it gives you a broad understanding to help you narrow things down. Another, you know, great new treasury or the treasury of scripture knowledge. I have a digital version because I could only imagine a printed version would be like a giant dictionary. And basically all that is, is a massive tome of cross-references of every, so you're looking at something and it just gives you a whole bunch of cross-references by verse. And it's helpful in that to see some of the things linked and go, okay, what's being said there and how? And so um, it just helps you get a better understanding, again, of what's being said when it comes to the context of things. Um, so you're reading you know, a verse in its context. Um, it still doesn't make total sense. Check out the back of your Bible, and you're like, hey, I want some, I would want to dig deeper, <laughs> then I'd say check out a, you know, the treasury of scripture knowledge or the new treasury of scripture knowledge, which just gives you a ridiculous amount of cross-references, or even check the cross-references if you have a, a cross-reference Bible, um, which are helpful in just giving you a better understanding of what's going on in that text. And so those are some, some practical things that I do when I'm, you know, interpreting scripture, you could use commentaries and, and whatnot. And there's thousands upon thousands of commentaries. And uh, again, as I said before, we were talking about first Corinthians 29, there's 29 different, you know, interpretations of that first Corinthians 15 passage from different commentators. And there's, it's this and that and, and whatnot. So, you know, commentaries are helpful, but I would say before jumping into a commentary, read the verse, you know, first, I guess, pray, <laughs> read the verse, you know, read uh, the verses around it, and then follow that up with cross-references, whether that's in your Bible or using the New Treasury of Scripture knowledge to give you a better understanding. And I bet that from most of that, you'll come up with a better understanding, because I typically do, and I am by no means a scholar, but I tend to go, okay, that makes a little more sense. I think I, under- I understand you know, what the Lord is saying here. And then you can move on to the, well, how does that apply to me today, uh, you know, the application part of that. So those are some of the simple, and again, it's just the word interpreting the word. There are parts of the Bible that are difficult to understand. I admit that. But I do think if you read the entirety of scripture and use the Bible to interpret itself, you're going to come out ahead. I love those two tips of definitely leaning more in towards scripture, interpreting scripture. I think that's where the biggest key is. And yeah, you might need a tool like a cross-reference Bible or, or something in order to find that. And then, but I would say if you're still stuck, then maybe hang on a sec. Maybe pray about that some more. I think because of our immediate gratification, and I know me, I, I want to know what the answer is. I want to know what this really smart person that I respect thinks. But hang on a second, because I think we often want to jump to that and get our answer right away. And sometimes, I'm not sure if that's always what the Lord has. I think sometimes He might want to show that to us in a different way. So It's okay to say, I don't know. Yeah. And I think that's not, that's probably a cardinal sin of our culture to say, I don't know. But I think it's okay to say, I don't know. It uh, absolutely at times, like, is. I don't know right now. Like, I'm not sure. Yeah, that's that is okay to end up. And I used to have a running list on my computer of, you know, be reading through scripture and go, man, what is that? But I didn't have time to dive into it. Yep. And I just shuffle that off into a file that I would at a you know appropriate time, go back and, and study. I would, did do a year long, you know, a read the, read the Bible through the year program where it was a five day a week reading. And then the, the other two days, the Saturday and Sunday were meant for that. So the Saturday and Sunday were meant to dive into 
I have a hard time just reading. Like I'm the, the nerd type that is constantly <laughs> wanting to interpret. Like I have a hard time going, ah, oh, let me put that, oh, let me dig in. And I fight, you know, chase rabbits all over the place. And so, but that's why I started doing, all right, I was doing that for a while, putting those into a file off to the side that I could look back and study those later on those two days where I'm not reading, you know, just reading through the scripture like I would through the, the Bible reading plan. The other thing that's great for those are those blank pages in your Bible. Yep. We've done that. My uh, Chris, my husband does that too. And he just, and he, when there's something that hits him, but he, Maybe he doesn't have time to totally dig into that. But it, like we said, as you start studying, you might find that answer gets, or that question gets answered. So, Mm -hmm. okay. Like I said, Gabe and I could go on about this for some time, but I hope this was helpful to you guys. And we're just walking through these things as a framework, but please don't interpret this as some kind of legalistic, you must do this in order to study scripture well, because so much, that's why I think this podcast was so important, because I think it shows us that so much starts with how you approach scripture, and the Lord will honor that. So thanks, Gabe, for doing this with me, and we will see you guys next time. Thank you for tuning in to The Devoted Podcast. We are a ministry of AV Creek Christian Fellowship in West Lynn, Oregon. For more resources, or if you need prayer or encouragement, send us an email at devotedpodcast at apcreek.com.